Hello, you sparkling rainbow bunting. Welcome to the second cop-on special of the international break. My name's Owen, and you're about to hear a conversation I've just had with Andrew Beasley, a lovely man who regularly provides a lot of illuminating stats and data about Liverpool Football Club. In case you didn't already know, you may follow Andrew on Twitter at Base tuned to red. You can also follow Cop On at Cop On Podcast or send us your feedback via Cop On Podcast at gmail.com. Deafening bugle blasts of thanks to you for listening, and I really hope you enjoy this chat. So, Andrew Beasley, thanks a million for for joining me at Cop On Podcast. Absolutely delighted that you're here. Um, to start with, tell us a little bit about your. You know, I know you're a very busy man. You're doing a lot of a lot of writing. What what kind of projects are you are you doing at the moment? Yeah, lots of writing. Always kept busy. Um, obviously, a lot of it is Liverpool based. So stuff for the Tomkins Times and the Liverpool Echo. Um, there's then stuff I do for a site called 12.football, which is a uh, sort of player ratings um, stats site, I suppose you'd call it. Uh, and there's, there's an app of that as well, a free app. So get downloading, please. Um, and then, yeah, other things, sort of um, betting strategy stuff for Paddy Power and Pinnacle and places like that. So um, all, all sort of football-based, but, yeah, quite a few different um you know, places that I write for. So, yeah, keep, keeps me busy, certainly. Yeah, fantastic. You're a man in demand. And, yeah, I do recommend that, that app 12.football. Uh, it's really good. I've, I've, I've checked it out myself. Um, on a sort of more, more um, you know, personal note, um, how did you first get into uh, Liverpool Football Club? Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I don't really remember not being into them because my dad supports them. So I just sort of picked it up from him, I guess. Um I mean, I suppose the first sort of first match I remember properly is the 1988 FA Cup final. But I, I'd probably had watched matches before that and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's really just um, parental influence uh, got me into it. And, as you know, I've stayed, stayed with it ever since. Fantastic. And where did you grow up? Uh, a town called Kettering, which is in the Midlands in Northamptonshire. So no, no connection to uh, Liverpool at all. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm from originally. Oh, excellent. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Um, Yeah, good. I mean, you know, likewise, I mean, I grew up in Jersey and, you know, if people are, you know, listening to this, they don't quite understand why anyone who's out of an out of towner, so to speak, likes Liverpool. I mean, I want you to, to imagine that you weren't born in Liverpool and you just want to support the best team in the world. So you end up supporting Liverpool, right? I mean, it's kind of logical. Um, Anyway, this current team... You know, since 1988, you've been watching the the Reds. How does this current team, Jürgen's big red combine harvester, how does it compare with uh, with all of the rest that you've seen? I think it's definitely one of the best. I mean, the the sort of the facts and figures speak for themselves, really. I mean, with the with the run they're on and the, the number of points they've uh, they've amassed, you know, whatever they might not win the league necessarily, like the '88 team did, for instance, but. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're undoubtedly one of the best teams of, of any era, not just sort of that I can remember, I think, probably from from any time. I mean, wh- when you when you sort of compare their current um, league uh, tallies 
against the club's top flight history and it's currently they've currently got the second best goals per game behind 2013-14 but they've also got the fourth best defense and uh, combining that together gives them the best points per game and the best goal difference per game of any Liverpool top flight season now of course some of the earlier teams will have won the league a few games before the end of the season might have eased up a bit and you know the stats their stats might have slipped a little bit but to be on top of, of basically every other team, including 18, which won the league, I mean, just, just shows how, how good they've been this season, whether they win the league or not. They're, they're undoubtedly one of the best um, Liverpool teams has ever been, I think. Well, I mean, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so nice, isn't it, to be able to, you know, in this day and age, uh, be able to back up what you're saying with, with, with statistics. And, you know, because we don't have to just rely on on our eyes, uh, you know, to to uh, to analyse matches. I mean, how and when and, and, you know, did you start getting into statistics and, and researching them? Um, well, I mean, I always was sort of interested in the sort of trivia side of things, you know, who was the last player to do this or the first player to do that or whatever, you know, when I was, when I was younger. Um, obviously, I guess, I suppose football stats probably started coming in, or at least that I was aware of, so maybe about eight or nine years ago, something like that. And um, I th- one thing that sticks in my head, whether it was the first thing I looked up, I don't think it was, but one thing that sticks in my head, in the summer of 2011, it would have been, Liverpool were linked with and eventually signed, as I'm sure you know, uh, Stuart Downing, Charlie Adam, Jordan Henson. And there weren't many stats out there in those days, but on the Telegraph newspaper's website, you could look up which players had scored the most goals, had the most shots, created the most chances. And when I, that summer, when I looked at the list of who'd created the most chances, it was basically Jordan Henderson, Stuart Downing, Charlie Adam in, in, the, in the previous season. So obviously when you see that and you see who Liverpool are linked to, you're like, oh, OK, so, you know, they bought Suarez and Carroll six months ago and now they need to... Um, you know, by some creative players to uh, to set up the goals or whatever. Obviously, it didn't quite work out that way, but that was that was the intention. So it was sort of spotting that connection between what was happening and um, what you know what the stats from the previous season had shown, um, even even though they were incredibly basic by what's sort of out there today. But you know, noticing that link, and I was like, oh, okay, that's quite interesting. And then it just sort of grew from there of like, you know, what stats can I find and and what what might they tell us about Liverpool or any team, really? No, it's really interesting, yeah. And, and obviously those three have been, you know, uh, pilloried. Henderson less so uh, because he's, uh, you know, now club captain. But there, I know that there is still some people who are, you know, definitely not not fans, I mean, to put it politely. Um, if you were, I mean, imagine you were on the Liverpool Transfer Committee, because I think... You know, I mean, where where would you where would you sort of draw the line between using these pure statistics, which is what we used to do, I think, under Damian Comley, uh, you know, to inform your decisions. Uh, you know, Charlie Adam gets loads of assists from corners, so, you know, so we should sign him, for example, uh, to simply, you know, trusting your eyes and what you can see on the pitch, you know, which is that Charlie Adam has all the agility of a hungover sloth. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um... I always think of it like the, the statistics should be your perhaps your starting point or a bit of a shortcut. So, you know, you might think um, you might be thinking, right, well, we need a player who can do this. 
and there's thousands of players out there. So it's like, so who has shown in the past they could do this to, to the extent that we need potentially? And then you, you look at your stats and you're like, okay, so instead of looking at these thousand players, we're now looking at, you know, however many, 50. And then you say, well, we also like it if you could do this. And then maybe your 50 goes down to sort of 10. And, you know, it, it's for me, it should be about using it to as a starting point, as I say, just to sort of give you an idea of who might be the right kind of player. And then obviously you send somebody to watch him or you watch the video or however you, you want to do it, you know, and, and sort of go from there. But um, it obviously, it, you know, it doesn't, the stats aren't everything. I mean, no, nobody who sort of works with them would tell you that they are because um, I remember looking at the stats for Andy Robertson when he signed and they, and they weren't very good at all. But of course he was playing for a poor team. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't have necessarily bought him based on his um, statistics, but obviously um, they saw something and uh, he's obviously worked out really well. So, you know, th- there's so many things to consider, but yeah, I, I would, I would only ever sort of rely on it as a starting point, I think. Well, I mean, it's a very reasonable answer. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very good answer. Um, but I was wondering if there, are, if there are any stats that you think are sort of missing from the list of stats that you can get. I mean, I, I thought of two to give you, to give you an example. Like I thought maybe. You know, when you have a three-on-two situation if you're attacking and uh, the player with the ball makes the wrong decision, makes the wrong pass, you could have some kind of wrong pass stat. Uh, And also, like, if you run in the wrong direction. I mean, you know, thinking of uh, Ryan Babble, you know, watching him uh, last week for Fulham. Uh, You know, if you can have some kind of wrong direction, wrong running uh, stat and, and wrong past that. They're just two ideas that I've had. Do you have any ideas about new kinds of stats that might be missing? Well, I think what's interesting is what a lot of people think of the stats that are available. There's In reality, there's, there's far more out there, but obviously most people only see what is shared by StatZone or whichever you know site or app they use. Um, but obviously Opta collect all kinds of, of things and... Um, each year they have a, a sort of forum in London, which um, I'm lucky enough to be invited to. So I go along each year and there's people, even like amateurs, not necessarily all working in clubs who are sort of doing incredible stuff with, with, with stats, but you wouldn't necessarily be aware of it because it doesn't show up on these sort of main sort of stat sites or whatever. Um, but yeah, there, there are people trying to um, sort of assess when players make the right or wrong passes and stuff like this. And obviously it's, uh, sort of extension. I, I mentioned uh, twelve football earlier. Obviously, they assign, as an example, they assign points for each pass um, based on the likelihood of it increasing a chance for a goal being scored. Now, obviously, if a player doesn't do that pass, they do another pass. There's maybe a way to give them like a negative score or whatever. Um, so, I mean, that sort of thing's a bit above a uh, bit above my understanding. But I mean, the work is going on and it's out there. It's just perhaps not sort of well known about publicly yet but um those sorts of things are definitely in the pipeline and maybe one day there will be a website that'll tell you all those sorts of things yeah quite possibly yeah it's very interesting it's very interesting and what, what are your favorite kinds of stats um i'm not sure if i have a favorite really i think i think the important thing is always for me is always just trying to put it in context really and so many sort of stats might get shared on social media or whatever um, one that sticks in my mind was a game earlier this season. I can't remember which game it was, but 
I think the three starting midfielders for Liverpool didn't make a single tackle or maybe only made one tackle between them. It was something like that. And then when I looked it up, they were like, well, there's, they, were, they were all top of the interception charts. They were all top of the ball recovery charts. And it's sort of, yeah, you could you know, say that they didn't make a tackle to try and paint them in a bad picture. But, you know, there, there's more than one way to win the ball. And they were just doing it via a different method. So for me, it's always, it's not so much about which is my favourite stat or, or anything like that. It's more about, have we got the context? Is this, is this actually any, is this information any use? Or is it just, you know bit of a wind up or trying to get retweets or uh, or whatever it is you know it's uh putting it in the context to make it to make a bit more sense out of it i think yeah very good yeah i totally agree i think it's really important to try and do that yeah absolutely um i've got a good question from um from a, a friend of cop on podcast jamie connolly who's a liverpool fan out in los angeles he 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 asks i think this is a really good question um how long can teams or players outperform their stats before reverting to the mean? So, for example, Manchester United are apparently outperforming their XG in both goals for and goals against. Um, and Salah outperformed his XG in all of last season. But, but then this season, he sort of reverted to the mean and he's, uh, he's at sort of normal um yeah if that i don't know what do you think um i mean it's probably not the sort of thing you could put a time frame on but i think the important thing to remember with things like um expected goals um certainly for the majority of models that are out there is that they're based on um an average the average likelihood of this shot being scored is you know 10 percent of the time or whatever it is you know so better teams are be- obviously are better than the average. So they should exceed their XG at both ends of the pitch, really. If they've got good attackers and if they've got a good goalkeeper, chances are they will exceed their XG. And, and similarly, teams at the bottom of the league um, are probably behind their XG because they're either better or worse than average as it is. And, it, and it's sort of the same with, with players. I mean, um, you know, Salah um, has certainly according to understats model anyway salah has overachieved against expected goals for the last four seasons i think it is before so before he came to liverpool and at liverpool this season he is slightly behind but it's also a sort of question of well you know where do you draw the line to, to to decide because obviously a football season even if you play every game 38 games it isn't that big a sample so if i think salah was roughly five goals up on non-penalty expected goals last year no sorry seven last year he was up and two he's down this year so for his whole time against at Liverpool he's up by five it's just that he was up seven last year and he's down two at the moment this season so you could also argue about where do you draw the line but but ultimately because it's usually based on an average better players will probably always exceed it I think with with teams, it just becomes a thing more, it, it's sort of less of a surprise if they haven't had good underlying statistics, if they then suddenly lose a game, you wouldn't expect. Like, I don't think anybody uh, would have predicted that United would only draw at home to Burnley. And I think they scored two goals right at the end, else they'd have lost. But, you know, United stats haven't been great, so it isn't that surprising when something like that happens. But over a longer sample, top teams will will pretty much always um, 
overachieve against what uh, the expected goal says. That's not that strange, really. Mm. No, it's it's really interesting. And, and and where do you stand on on Mohamed Salah? Because I, I I'm yet to meet a Liverpool fan who doesn't think he's utterly brilliant and amazing. But then I've yet to meet. Uh, a non-Liverpool fan who doesn't question his ability this season, uh, and it's a it's a funny thing. Where do, where do you stand on it? We got nothing to worry about. I mean, he's still awesome, isn't he? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think there's anything to uh, to worry about there. I think, I mean, you know, the sort of cliche goes that he's still in the position to miss the chances and things like that. I mean, if he wasn't having chances at all, it would be um, a concern. But uh, but he is so straight away there's no real issue there I mean if you look on the understat website he's currently top of the league for non-penalty um, expected goals um, ahead I'm just looking now ahead of Aguero Aubameyang Mane Sterling Kane you know all these guys are behind him um, I mean I, I think that's partly because he plays so much you know he's the only so far he's the only Liverpool player um who's been in the squad for every single match this season in all competitions. Uh, so he does, you know, which is good, obviously. I mean, he plays a lot, so that sort of helps him beef up the figures a bit, I suppose. But no, I mean, he's still getting chances. He's still creating chances for others. I think he's just having a having a bit of a dip, whether it's playing on his mind about getting to 50 goals, I think it is for Liverpool, 50 league goals or something like that. But um, I think as well, you have to remember, I mean, um, something else I looked at recently uh, Salah got 44 goals last season and the only Liverpool player who's beaten that was uh, Ian Rush getting 47 in 1984. But then the following season, um, Rush got 26. So he had quite a big drop-off. And Salah's on 20 in all competitions. He will probably finish somewhere around 26 because I'm sure he'll score again soon. And Liverpool have got some a few weaker teams left to face this season. Um, so he'll probably finish in the sort of mid twenties as well. So I think it just, you know, unless you're an obvious example, but unless a player is Messi or Ronaldo, basically it's not, it's not normal for them to score 40 goals a season. So if he were to get 26, let's say, and he's got 70 across the two years, I mean, that's still, that's still incredible. It's just, they've been, uh, you know, a lot of them were front loaded into, into last season, but, um, no, I mean, there's no concerns there. And I think, you know, fans of other clubs, it's just sort of, you know, the nature of rivalry is that you sort of underrate players of other teams or whatever. But um, no, he'll be fine. He'll probably score this weekend and then, you know, get another five or six across the rest of the season. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. No, yeah, I mean, he, he's not bad, is he? I mean, really. So, uh, well, OK. I mean, do you have any... Um... Any other sort of standout stats that, you know, interesting ones you found recently or anything about uh, this LFC team? Um, I'm not sure I have really. I mean, they're, they're, they're just going along very well. They're, they're doing very well. As I said, the, 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 the main players are performing well. As, as I just mentioned, you know, Salah might be top for XG, but Mane's not far behind him in, in fourth place and stuff like that. And... Um, They've just both been really, they've sort of taken it in turns. They've both been really good um, at scoring the first goal of a game this season, uh, which is obviously really important getting ahead because um, Salah has scored the first goal in nine Premier League matches this season, which is the most of any player from any club. But Mane has, has almost caught him up. He's now on eight, which is the same as um, Aguero just behind Salah. And uh, sort of if you, if you look at the last... 
let's have a look. One, two, three, four. The last six matches where Liverpool have scored the first goal, it's been Mane every time. Um, Leicester, West Ham, Bournemouth, Watford, Bayern Munich away, Fulham. He scored the first goal in every in every one of those. And obviously Liverpool, you know, a couple of those Liverpool didn't hang on to the lead, but getting the lead with with Liverpool's defence gives them so much better chance of of winning matches. So um, it's sort of interesting that Salah went through the first half of the season opening the scoring all the time, and now it seems to switch to to Mane. But as long as one of them's doing it, then that that's obviously the main thing. But uh, I did look it up quite recently. The the club's record in the Premier League era is um, 10 by Robbie Fowler in, I think it was 94 or 95. He opened the scoring 10 times. So that, you know, it's not impossible that both Salah and Mane could equal that this season. So, um, yeah, as long as they do, I think Liverpool could yet win the league, certainly. Incredible. Yeah, it's totally brilliant. It's so exciting, isn't it? I mean, um, how are you feeling about Spurs at Anfield? I mean, firstly, how are you feeling? And uh, secondly, what do you think our, our chances are of, of beating them? Well, I think we have to be confident. They're on a bad run of four and they've only taken one point from the last four matches. And even then, um, Aubameyang missed an injury time penalty, else they'd have lost four games in a row if he'd have scored that. So... Their form's not great. Um, their form at Anfield isn't great. One league win in the last 25 years. Um, obviously, you know, such runs have to end eventually. Um, so I'd, I'd sort of put more faith in their recent form rather than their record going back that far. But they don't tend to do well at Anfield. And yeah, they're not um, performing well, as I say. If, if you look at the... Um, using the expected goals, you can make a prediction of the, uh, the outcome of the match. And the uh, doing that for this match that's coming up gives Liverpool a 57% chance of winning, 23% for the draw and about 20% for a Tottenham win. So, you know, it would it would be a fairly surprising result, at least based on the statistics. They can't account for everything, but based on that, it'd be quite surprising if, if Spurs won. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I'm confident. I think I, you, I think you have to be confident when Liverpool are at home. You know, it's uh, nearly two years without a loss in a in a home league match, and um, it's over three years since they lost a home match to another team from the from the big six uh, in the league, at least. So yeah, I mean, everything points towards um, a Liverpool win. But I guess you never know. Tottenham have got a lot of good players. They could easily, um, you know, spring a surprise. But yeah, you'd have to think Liverpool to win at this point. Well, it's interesting. You, you don't get, you know, a, a, attacks of the jitters like lots of people before the match. I know I, I get them. I suffer pretty badly. Well, I, I think I probably do closer to the match. I think uh, so. Um, you know, today if I'm working on a today, I'm working on a preview of Liverpool against Tottenham. So at this point in the week, I'm sort of looking at it as objectively as I can. And, you know, looking at the, the form and the results and the, the underlying statistics and stuff like that. Obviously, Sunday afternoon, I'll, I, you know, I won't be as calm about it. But uh, as, as we sit here today, it's, uh, yeah, I'm in sort of stat and record mode. So it, it sort of gives me a bit more faith, yeah. <laughs> yeah, OK. Excellent. And uh, and what do the, I mean, you, you know, one more question about the stats. I mean, it's a, it's a key one for me uh, and, and I'm sure lots of other people. What, what do the stats say about our chances of, of winning the league or the Champions League or both or neither? <laughs> Um, well, I don't think Liverpool are favourites for, for either, for a start. I mean, I, well, I know they're not, 
they're not going to be. I think Man City are probably favourites with the bookmakers for the for most things and uh, for both things. And you know, the bookmakers tend to base their prices on um, the stats as well. So it's uh, it's 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 hard to say. I mean, I think Liverpool. It's so hard to say. Liverpool could win both. Liverpool could win neither. Um, and and obviously that will make quite a difference to uh, to how the season is viewed. Um, I think one thing one thing that does give me encouragement um, is a recent article by Paul Tompkins. He did a bit of research on the teams that um, have reached the Champions League semi-finals. English teams that have reached the Champions League semi-finals over the last fifteen years, something like that. Anyway, and. Um, he found that no team has ever won all of their games which have directly followed the Champions League knockout games if they've got that far. So if they're in the last 16 quarterfinals, semifinals, there's six league matches which have followed a Champions League match and no team has ever won all six. So obviously that suggests that Liverpool aren't going to win all of their games, but it, it also suggests that Manchester City aren't either because I think the natural sort of thing to think from a Liverpool perspective is, well, Man City are going to win all their games or near enough all of them. So we're going to have to win all of our games as well. Yet the history suggests that the teams that go deep into the Champions League just don't win all of their games. And then obviously Manchester City have still got FA Cup games uh, or at least one FA Cup game and then rescheduled league games on top of that. So it seems hugely unlikely that Man City will win all of their remaining league games. So it's just about Liverpool making sure that they win enough of theirs to uh, to get ahead. But I'm sure there'll be uh, I'm sure there'll be sort of plenty of twists and turns before it's over again. A bit of a cliche, but I think it's true. Um, I mean, you'd expect you know Manchester City uh, at Fulham this weekend, so you'd expect them to win on Saturday lunchtime, and then so Liverpool go into a tough game. You know, got a much tougher game this weekend against Tottenham behind. Um, only a point behind, but still behind. So um, the pressure will be on for that. But um, yeah, I, I would love to say, oh, the stats will definitely say Liverpool will win, but they don't. But thankfully, they don't. <laughs> def- they don't definitely say they're out of it either, which I guess is the is sort of probably as as good as you can hope for at this point. Anyway. Yeah. Well, we can. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we can. We can definitely hope, and I think yeah, fatigue is is surely going to play some kind of part. Uh, in this running, uh, but uh, no, excellent, excellent. Just one last final question um, about your name. I mean, I'm uh, your Twitter handle, um, you know, and uh, is uh, you know, I presume it's bass tuned to red and not bass tuned to red. It's more musical than about fishing. Uh, so tell me, t- tell me about your uh, your musical projects. Yeah, no, the name uh, is a sort of play on a. There's um, one of my favourite bands, the Super Furry Animals, have a track called bass tuned to dead so when i set up the twitter thing i was like what could i have because i play bass i was like oh bass tuned to red for liverpool um (laughs) i mean in terms i mean i don't really have any musical projects as such i do play in a in a sort of uh covers soul covers band called the profumos and you know we do a few gigs every so often and stuff like this but uh it's very much a sort of you know uh, a hobby it's no i've got no sort of grand musical projects in the pipeline or anything just few gigs every uh, you know gig every couple of months with the uh, with the profumos keeps me going so wonderful and you're on soundcloud and we can check you out the profumos yes well there's yeah the website uh, theprofumos.com has the sort of soundcloud demos embedded um, on the home page so yeah just go to that and you'll sort of hear a little sample but uh, yeah it's all uh, sort of basically soul covers from the 60s and 70s kind of motown and stuff like that so um, 
it's just good fun. I mean, even if we don't, you know, we don't have that many gigs, but we rehearse every month. And yeah, it's just something, it's good to do something away from thinking about football all the time, you know. Well, yes, I know. I know. I mean, the international break, I've been, you know, trying not to think of football. I've, been, I've done all kinds of things. I, I also play music, play the bass. I've been trying to, you know, get into some, uh, I've got some, there's some medieval kind of pixie, psychedelic folk music. I've been trying to get my head around with my Italian friend, Michele. I went to a trans transvestite show the other night uh, where they did a, a, you know, performance of the French poet and singer Alain Bashung. They did a sort of tribute night to him. That was fun, but this international break is still doing my head in, and I can't wait for Sunday. How are you surviving with the international break? Well, the funny thing is, because obviously um, football being my work as well as my sort of, you know, hobby or, you know, following Liverpool or whatever, it's actually quite good to have an international break because it it sort of gives me a little bit more time to, to sort of not think about football. I mean, not that I don't like thinking about football but when it's your job as well as your sort of interest outside of that it is good to have a break every now and again so um, I know I know it drives a lot of people crazy but uh, on, on a personal level a little break from the intensity of you know writing about pretty much every Liverpool game and before and afterwards and stuff like that it, it is all right it's all right to have a to have a break now and again in, in my <laughs> position but um, yeah I, I haven't been following the international football at all I did see that um, England had a good win and Scotland had a bad defeat and stuff like that but yeah, beyond that, I don't really sort of know too much about what's been going on. So um, probably need to catch up to see who's been, you know, which Liverpool players have played and scored and stuff like that. But um, no, they're, they're having a sort of week, having a break every so often through the season isn't actually that bad. It, for me anyway, it's uh, quite nice just to clear your head for a couple of weeks, I think. Well, I'm I'm so glad. I'm so happy that you uh, took the time to, 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 to speak about football today with me. Thank you so much. Uh, Andrew Beasley, thank you so much for for joining me, and uh, I'm sure the listeners really appreciate uh, all of all you've told us today. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Thanks. No worries. Brilliant. Really enjoyed it. So there we are. We're sadly approaching the end of another Cop On special. Cop On is a labour of love, and it's available to you for free. Although if you would like to pledge as little as one US dollar per month, I'd really appreciate that. And you could win some prizes for doing so. Anyway, thanks once again to Andrew Beasley, a super chap, I'm sure you'd agree. And Copon will be back with yet another special and a Spurs preview before you can say, Ooh, look, Mo Salah's a freaking genius.